All right, so uh, one thing you may or may not know is Janair and I are both teachers, and Megan's a teacher by proxy, and basically you could just step into the role and be fine. So um, a lot of teacher-oriented things going on today. Um, as we talked about earlier, we're, we're doing a service on lament. Um, lament, again, is this idea of there's something wrong and frustrating with the world, and we need a way to process that, right? The unhealthy way is to bury it, to say, you know, God's just going to take care of it and, and not deal with those emotions. And really, we need to be expressing what we're feeling. Uh, God is giving, George walked us through back in August as a group MRJR, and then in September as a church, um, what lamenting looked like and why we did it. So we won't spend too much time um, belaboring that, but we, we need a healthy way um, to outlet our emotions. And so you'll see on your paper, there are kind of three different movements within lament. And the first movement is the one I'm gonna talk about is this idea of addressing God, that God has made promises to us, right? And if you wanna open the Bible in front of you or not, um, you can, there's, there's Psalm um, 44 is what George ran us through back in September, if you were here, and if you weren't, that's okay. Um, but it kind of shows you the different movements within um, Psalm 44. Um, and address is this idea that God has made us made promises to us. He said, this is the way that the world should be. And often, personally, when I think of God's promises, I go to the Sermon on the Mount, right? I think about those who are mourning will be comforted, right? The, the meek shall inherit the earth. Um, I wrote down something else here. Um, the merciful, those who show mercy to others will be shown mercy, right? And so we lay out these promises, said, God, these, these are the things that you promised us right? Um, and then, once we've kind of laid out the promises, we then begin to address, you know, something is not lining up with God's promises. And Janae's going to talk about that. Yes. So, our second movement is complaint. Um, and you'll see there's another part of Psalm 44 that is there as an example of how this is laid out in Scripture. Um, but for me, complaint when I was learning about it with our MRJR team, um, it felt like it gave me a new permission with God that I don't think I had felt previously. Um, and something that um, our teacher George said um, as we were learning was, um, it's not really a real relationship if you can't complain, um, if you can't bring up the hard thing. Um, if you can't bring up the thing that you thought they were going to do and they didn't do it. And I think all of us have relationships in our life where we realize um, it's not deep until we can get to that place. So why would our relationship with God, something that's supposed to be deeply personal, why would it not include complaint? Um, so that was helpful for me. Um, when we practice complaint with God, uh, those words in red on your paper, it's honest, it's specific. God, I um, believed you to promise this specifically and I'm not seeing it, right? Um, it can be personal. Um, it can also be on behalf of, of something you're seeing happening to others. And the third movement is expression of trust. So after we've poured out our hearts completely, we are then reflecting, you are God and I am not, right? 
And I trust your heart. I trust your character. I trust your good, pleasing, and perfect will. I cast all of my cares onto you, every single one. I lean every weight onto you and say, God, this is your problem. I love that line. My stepmom taught me that. I like saying it because it helps, it reminds me that I'm not alone in my feelings. It reminds me that he's also carrying this burden too. And he cares about these things too. The question though is, do we stop there? Do we stop there with declaring our trust for God? And that's something I've been realizing lately that expression of trust can also be an action step. Responding to like, this is how I know you are. We gather everything we know about his heart, his heart for the world, and the ministry of Jesus, which boils down to do justice, love mercy, walk humbly with God most high. Stepping out and stepping forward is an expression of trust. It's seeking understanding in areas that you don't understand. Inviting Jesus into those uncomfortable spaces. And I just want to highlight this last week, Janae wrote an awesome e-news. If some, hopefully a lot of you read it. If you haven't, you should def definitely check it out. But she, in, the, in, this, in her writing, she continues to say yes to God. Continue, and God continues to open her eyes to more discomfort in like, kind of like, trust is, is also an action step. more discomfort, more different forms of adv advocacy for the ones he loves and has asked us to love. And these two people on stage are taking bold steps revealing their expression of trust in God. It's an ongoing process, and God is a wonder-working God. And as we seek and express our trust in him, he is faithful to not only show up, but to change us from the inside out. And that is our hope, and that is our declaration. So we're gonna transition now to sharing this video. Um, this was a Google search last year. I've shared this several times as we've been promoting the series. We just went through it, we just finished it. The Lamenting Racism series. Um, so on their website, I'm just gonna read what it says. In Lamenting Racism, a team of leading pastors and theologians come together to lay the groundwork for important conversations about racism in your congregation. Through their conversations and six thought-provoking videos, they name that God's people of every race are called to confront racism in every way possible. Together, this team invites each of us to consider and give voice to how we have been shaped and formed by race. Calling on us to reclaim the lost art of biblical lament, these pastors and theologians model a powerful way to pour out the fear, shame, grief, and rage of racism into prayer. In the process, we will be transformed, reclaiming hope for the world shaped by God's inclusive vision of love and blessing. So it invites, this six-week study invites church groups to learn the practice of biblical lament as a powerful tool in the church's struggle against racism. We were so convinced of how essential lament is that we were like, you know what? We're just going to, like, shove it into a service on Sunday morning. You don't even have to sign up. We're going to show you week one of this six-week lament series.
Here we go. You ready? Let's Here we go. Do it. This is the combination so all these years. After two years of I'm Anthony Powell, and I get the privilege of being your host for this six-part series in which we're going to be looking at the biblical truths between lament and how it can be a powerful tool for working against racism. I'm the pastor of Redeemed Life Church in Azusa, California, and I've been a part of a team of four pastors and four professors from diverse backgrounds that spent two years researching together how lament can intersect with our mandate to dismantle racism. Now, I know from firsthand experience as a black man in America that racism is a crushing force in our world. And we as a church have got to confront it in every way that we can find. I've discovered the biblical practice of lament to be a powerful act for engaging in this struggle. Now, lament is a largely lost practice within the Western church, but it has the great power to transform and motivate, and we need to reclaim it. Now, as a research team, we met over the course of these two years. We read a bunch of books. Yeah. <laughs> we talked together. We prayed together. We ate together. Yeah. We cried together. Yeah. We repented together. Um, we were there for one another as we discovered what this whole piece of racism and lament really looked like in real time. And amongst this research team, there were four pastors and four churches and four professors, and we conducted experiments within the four pastors with a diverse congregation. And we began to analyze the different aspects of how lament can be a powerful tool for us to confront racism. And to set that up, in this session, we are going to be taking a deep dive into the biblical practice of lament itself to see what it actually is. In each session, two different co-hosts from our research team will join me. And for this first session, I want to introduce to you Abigail Gaines and Rob Mathia. Now, and since we're going to be talking about race, why don't you just start by introducing yourself and sharing a little bit about your racial identity as it pertains to this conversation. Absolutely, thank you so much, Anthony. Well, my name is Abigail Gaines, and I am the lead pastor of Vineyard Church Glendora in Glendora, California. So when it comes to my racial identity, my ancestors dominantly come from England and Germany. You can actually trace my ancestral line all the way back to the Mayflower. Wow. So it goes without saying that my roots in this Euro-American narrative and experience go very deep. But in the midst of it, I also bring this diverse experience because I'm the mother of an African-American daughter and a Mexican-American son because I have grown my family through adoption. So this conversation has multiple layers of significance and meaning for my life. Thanks, Abigail. Okay, Rob, let's continue with you. Thanks, Anthony. It's good to be with you. My name again is Rob Mathia. I'm a professor at Azusa Pacific Seminary and a member of Pasadena Mennonite Church. And Anthony, you asked about our own sort of racial yeah. locations. And I come to this discussion with a biracial identity. My mother was white. Um, her ancestry was English and Scottish and German. My father is, uh, grew up in Malaysia and is ethnically Sri Lankan Tamil. And so that's this biracial identity that I was born into or that I have is certainly significant and shapes how I enter this conversation. 
Thanks for those brief introductions. All right, Abigail, now let's get started. Help us understand what biblical lament actually is. Yeah. We all grieve things in our lives and the world around us that cause pain and suffering and anger and confusion. It's part of being human, right? And if you listen closely, you'll find our culture is full of expressions of this grief or laments as we're calling it, if you know what to listen for. If we think of lament as this raw crying out about something that isn't right, it's this crying out in pain or fear or protest, we can hear it in a rap song about mistreatment and injustice. We can hear it in a protest chant and we can hear it in the poetry of a young person facing deportation. These are all valuable forms of expression. And again, culturally, we can find lament all over the place. But what makes biblical lament different from these cultural expressions of pain, injustice, or grief is that biblical lament directly is addressed to God. Mm. Biblical lament is a way of crying out to God and protesting pain and suffering. We find laments throughout Scripture, both the Old Testament and the New Testament. The book of Lamentations is a whole collection of laments. About one-third of the Psalms are Psalms of lament. The book of Job is essentially one long lament. Lament is heard within the New Testament as well. For example, we hear those words on the lips of Jesus on the cross where he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's this lament. Wow. And he's actually quoting from Psalm 22, which is a Psalm of lament. So we're gonna continue our conversation on the intersection of lament and racism, but I just wanna pause for a moment and just share a story from my own experience. Um, there was a time not too long ago where I was going to be taking my daughters to their very first father-daughter dance. Brother got to show up at the doorstep with flowers for his special ladies. And so I'm coming back from working out in the gym. Um, and so you can get the picture, cut off shorts, cut off shirt, hoodie, little sweaty, little disheveled, but super excited and full of enthusiasm. So I go to the local flower shop in my neighborhood. And as I walk in, I see that the flower shop is relatively empty. Um, the clerk is helping one customer. And as she's engaging with this customer, it's quite easy to tell that she's throwing out the red carpet. She's giving him the royal treatment. She's taking her time. She's showing him different arrangements. Like he's having uh, just a great time with this clerk deciding for his floor arrangement. So I wait at least 10 minutes for this exchange to finish. Then once she's done, she helps that customer, sends him on his way, and I take a step towards the counter because I'm next. And she looks up from the counter, takes one look at me and says, can I help you? It wasn't the, can I help you as in like, how can I be of service to you? It was a, uh, can I help you as if I was lost? Mm. As if I did not know where I was. To which I began to explain, hey, I have this special night that I'm having with my girls um, and I'd like to pick out a special corsage for, for them. To which she responds like, okay. And I say, hey, I would love your help in figuring out what to get for my daughters. To which she then responds, how would I know what they would want what they would like. Do you have any idea what they would want, what they would like? And so I start to say, well, yeah, one of them likes pink, one of them likes purple, and she stops me in my tracks and says, you know, um, I don't think that I can help you. I wouldn't even know what kind of things your daughters would like, but I do have a suggestion. There's a Vons right down the way, and I believe that they have a flower section. You might have better luck by going there and purchasing those corsages for your daughters. 
So as this whole interaction is happening, I'm, it's very clear that I'm not wanted. It's very clear that she probably took a look at this black man with dreadlocks and earrings and made some assumptions about whether or not she felt like I was worthy of her service. So I end that experience and there's all kinds of things that are being brought up within me. I'm angry, mm -hmm. I'm heartbroken. I'm disappointed because now I've wasted so much time at, with, at this flower shop with this clerk that I don't have time to go get my girls the corsage that their daddy wanted to present to them. So what do I do with this? What do I do with my anger at the clerk? What do I do with the gut punch when I think about my daughters not getting flowers from their dad? What do I do with the despair that this interaction brings up in me? The stuff. The stuff that goes on inside, what do I do with that? Well, I have learned through lament, I've come to see that lament in itself is an action. It's a response to the questions that I have, to the experience that I just encountered. So I'm going to come back to those questions in a few minutes. But first, Rob and Abigail, I want to go with you as we walk through what biblical lament looks like for you. Let's look at some specific examples of lament in the Bible, and these are printed for you in your participant journals. First of all, notice that lament can be either individual or communal. So here's an individual lament that Job cried out to God while he was suffering. This is Job 10, 18 and 19. Why did you let me emerge from the womb? I wish I had died without any eye seeing me. Then I would be just as if I hadn't existed, taken from the belly to the grave. In contrast, here's a communal lament offered by Daniel, and you'll hear the plural language, Daniel 9, 5. We have sinned and done wrong. We have brought guilt on ourselves and rebelled, ignoring your commands and your laws. So communal laments take us beyond our own individual experiences and connect us to the larger communities that we are embedded in. Because when it comes to lamenting racism, we need both individual and communal Absolutely. lament, right? There are things that you might need to personally lament, I might personally need to lament, but there are also things that our communities mm -hmm. need to lament, that we need to cry out to God about. So both individual and communal lament help us with that. Let's look at some of the different themes that come through in biblical laments. One kind of lament is about crying out to God about ways we have sinned. These are laments of repentance or penitence. Take a look at Psalm 51 verses 1 through 2 in your journals. It says, Have mercy on me, God, according to your faithful love. Wipe away my wrongdoings according to your great compassion. Wash me completely clean of my guilt. Purify me from my sin. When it comes to lamenting racism, Laments of repentance are appropriate for some people as they come to discover the ways they have had any part in perpetuating injustice or pain in others. Personally, I have lamented the ways I have benefited from racialized systems, and I found it an important part of my own journey to repent of those benefits that are deeply rooted in my ancestral line. Some laments make accusations against God by directing the onus of the problem on God 
as in Psalm 44, verses 13 through 14, it says, you've made us a joke to all of our neighbors. We're mocked and ridiculed by everyone around us. You've made us a bad joke to the nations, something to be laughed at by all peoples. Lament can include cries of abandonment like we hear in Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you left me alone? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from my anguished groans? My God, I cry out during the day, but you don't answer. Even at nighttime, I don't stop. Wow. And I already referred to that verse. This is what Jesus was quoting, the first part of Psalm 22, when he was on the cross. Mm. So Jesus lamented. Related to these themes of abandonment is the feeling of despair. And uh, listen to this, this despair in Lamentations 1, 16. Because of all these things, I'm crying. My eyes, my own eyes, pour water because a comforter who might encourage me is nowhere near. Mm. My children are destroyed because the enemy was so strong. Mm. Scripture gives us permission to be brutally honest with God about how we feel. And as part of the lament in this passage, the, the author rehearses what has happened. And so the author says, my children are destroyed because the enemy was so strong. There's this remembering, here's what happened that got us to this situation. And lament involves remembering. And when, as we get to lamenting racism, this act of remembering is a crucial part of doing that. Mm. Fear is another theme carried in lament. Listen to Psalm 6, verse 3. My soul is struck with terror while you, O Lord, how long? Along with the fear, notice the questioning. Lament gives us permission to question God. For those of you who bear the brunt of racism, you might have some pointed questions for God in the midst of everything else you're feeling and experiencing. Protest is another theme of lament, and we see it in Psalm 10, where the psalmist lashes out at God and demands action. So here's Psalm 10, verse 1. Why do you stand so far away, Lord, hiding yourself in troubling times? So it's a question, but really it's not a question. It's a demand, and it's a protest. God, where are you? And what biblical lament shows us is that anger against God is, is okay. Challenging and questioning God is actually a legitimate part of prayer. Wow. We've all seen public protests against certain actions or certain institutions or certain policies, but what if that protest is directed towards God? Mm. That can make a lot of people uncomfortable, right? But what we've found in our research as we work with people in different congregations is that that way of addressing God actually ends up connecting people to God. Yeah. That way of being honest before God has actually been a way of deepening people's faith. Mm. So good. The biblical scholar Rebecca Eklund says this about lament in scripture. As protest, Israel's lament calls on God to account for the way things are wrong in the world and demands that God listen and respond to set right what is wrong, mend what is broken and bring light to the darkness just as it is God's essential character to do so. God is a God of mercy, let there be mercy. God is a God of justice, let there be judgment on the enemy and the evildoer. When Israel laments, it is God's faithfulness to God's promises that are at stake. We want to reclaim the lost art of lament 
because we see it as a faith-infused way to contribute to the struggle against racism. It's a struggle we have to engage, not just out there in the broader culture, but within our own churches and within ourselves as well. Let me wrap up by sharing why lament matters to me when it comes to the racism that I live with. See, as I think about what happened in that flower shop, lament gives me permission to invite God, invite the Holy Spirit into that experience with me. It gives me a way to protest to God about what happened. Lament, for some of you, might mean that you need to focus on repentance. But for me, lament has given me a way to voice my hurts and my anger, things that I've been told in multiple ways throughout my life that I'm actually not supposed to voice too much about because you don't want to be called the angry black man. You're supposed to push that down and suppress it. But the precedent of biblical lament invites me to bring it all to God, whether it's pretty or whether it's messy, whether it's comfortable for you or not comfortable for you. Lament has become an act of worship for me as I seek to connect with God in the midst of great pain. And when I lament in the presence of God and in the presence of others, I found it actually connects us in ways that God uses to keep moving us forward to confront racism and seek shalom for all people of every skin color. Yeah. Mm, that's good. So that is week one, and I hope that many of you found it uh, activating in some way. Um, we went through all six weeks, and it was, it's just been powerful week by week. So we're going to take some time now to lament um, in our uh, little papers that Ryan wrote out for us, or printed out for, wrote out for us. Um, and I just want to touch on a couple things because we're all kind of coming on to this probably from different spaces, different perspectives. So just trying to give um, some on-ramps for everyone. Uh, which is why I thought focusing on Anthony's story specifically might be a good starting point for all of us. What was wrong with that story? How did it stir in you? How do you desire God to intervene in stories like that? And how are we called to intervene when we hear a story like that? Are we supposed to say, oh, that's just a one-off. It doesn't happen every day. How far has deflecting someone else's pain gotten us in history, especially in the church? This is a story that God cares about. And if it's a story that Jesus cares about, and if Jesus cares about it, then we should care about it. When one really cares about something, what do you do? You wrestle with God, right? God, this isn't okay. Where were you? What do you want me to do? And for those of you who maybe feel numb in this department, maybe you can't resonate with those um, kinds of stories, I encourage you to invite Jesus into that as well, because Jesus is not numb to this man. Jesus is not numb to his story. And the stories we all hear every single day over and over again, if we're listening, Jesus is not numb to that either. So we're going to take time now to fill out the lamenting guide, and I just encourage you to write from your heart 
Where's your heart today? Go deeper, go wider. That's what love does. It goes deep and it goes wide. Um, and I just encourage you to talk to God. And then um, there'll be some time we can continue. You'll be able, you can remain sitting, remain writing, reflecting. George will come up and share a song of complaint for those who maybe need more prompting and, and, um, and then we will uh, transition to the next thing. Let's begin. Let's just take another moment. Just take a deep breath. It's a lot to take in. Just due to the time, we're not going to be breaking out into groups. We're just going to enter now into a time of lament. Um, And as we enter into that time, I just want to remind everyone that this isn't about perfection. It's not about checking a box. There's not a right way to do it. Biblically, the format is really clear, which is really helpful. We hope that many of you will take this home with you and make it a regular practice. We have found people in our MRJR group have been extremely blessed by this way of um, transparency with God. But this format is, it's about responding to an issue. Lament is a vehicle. It's a mechanism, but it's not the goal. The goal is to cry out to God to get reconciliation, justice, and healing. And our goal is justice and real change. It's not just writing the lament and then we're done. We ask God to see him come through to intervene. And this is, this is about being a body of believers that cry out to God and invite him into these stories. So I'm going to read my lament. It's very short and it's very simple. And that's okay. And then if anyone else would like to come up, we'll just take some time to do that. You are a God of justice, of truth. You care about all people, no matter the status, no matter their background, what they've been born into, their heritage, the color of their skin. You care about all people. And it's not right for people to be treated unfairly. How can you sit and watch this discrimination, these shootings, these hangings, these slurs? It's a darkness I cannot handle knowing exists out there, everywhere. This man, Anthony, came in love and was met with hate due to judgment. Rise up, O oh God. Bring justice. 
Looking back, I see how you've used catalytic events to change hearts and minds of darkened souls. I trust that you will continue to do so. I'd like to uh, just share what I wrote down for my expression of trust. Who else can we possibly turn to for salvation? Who else can rescue our world from injustice? Which I experience as well as I experience the peace and prosperity that rightly belong to people of color that are denied the feeling of being fully accepted by this American experience. I choose to trust that you are doing good work that I cannot yet see and ask that by your grace, my eyes would be open to what role you would have me play in the work that you are doing to make this world a more just and loving place.